Welcome to the Physiostoic Project, a podcast where we explore the intersection of stoicism and physical therapy clinical practice, professional growth, and personal well-being. Here are your hosts, Dr. Andrew Rothschild and Dr. Jason Bodu. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Andrew, good to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So last we spoke, uh, the biggest thing going on in the country was the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but over the last few weeks, there's been uh, some changes in sort of the uh, topic dominating the headlines and the culture around the country. Um, that, of course, is since the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, there has been a sort of a reawakening in, uh, of sort of racial um, you know, racial disparity uh, in this country. And you're seeing that uh, throughout different cities and states um, with protests and demonstrations and Black Lives Matter uh, coming back to the forefront, um, things that are happening on the floor of the Senate and the House. And really just in so, in so many communities, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and that's brought a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of protests since this happened, especially um, bringing about calls to kind of pull down uh, the monuments, the Confederate monuments, and you're seeing them being pulled down across the country and even in cities around the world. Uh, England, uh, in England, London, for example, um, a, a, a renowned slave trader was pulled down. Um, and even other parts around the, the world, you're seeing demonstrations and kneeling um, out of solidarity. And, you know, I wanted to discuss, you know, in terms of looking at, you know, our interest in stoicism as sort of a guiding philosophy, you know, how we can use this in terms of this is obviously a very hot button topic. People are very passionate on, on either side about it um, and how you can have conversations with patients, with colleagues, um, both like in the clinic and even on social media um, and how we can have these conversations, what strategies you can we can use, what sort of lens we can use to kind of use some of these um, events with. Yes, it is definitely a, uh, a very relevant topic for today. Um, and many clinicians, PTs, physicians, etc., cetera, are, uh, if not on the verge of returning back to the clinic, have already uh, restarted a few uh, weeks ago, uh, while some others have been working this whole time and have had to deal with the pandemic um, and potential fallout from um, these protests. Um, and it, presenting in the clinic, it can be, um, it can be a uh, dicey conversation to have um, because you and I may have a certain perspective on it and the other person may not. Um, most clinics that I'm aware of, including ours, um, try to stay away from political uh, topics. Um, but sometimes that's difficult um, because health uh, is obviously becoming very political now. Um, decisions made in DC are impacting all of us. Um, the pandemic is affecting all of us. Um, health, uh, social, determinant, social determinants of health uh, have impacted both uh, COVID and um, the protests that are going on right now because uh, they're um, 
folks in poorer communities, unfortunately, are getting hit harder uh, due to limited resources. Um, these same people are also the ones who, unfortunately, are suffering the blunt end of uh, police brutality. Um, and so uh, it's a tricky conversation to have. I have my own view on it, which is police brutality should basically not be allowed, um, no matter what. Um, and as a human to human, people should treat each other as um, like, kind of like the golden rule. Treat the other person like you want to be treated yourself. Um, and one thing I know is none of us deserve to be knelt on for eight and a half minutes. Um, regardless of what the person did. Now, having this conversation in the clinic can be tricky because uh, I may have that perspective. Meanwhile, somebody else may have a variant view on things. Um, and then we have the, uh, the magical therapeutic alliance that we're trying to keep up. Um, and that becomes dicey. Um, the one time I have had an incident in the clinic where something became political in a semi-threatening way, um, I basically decided that I wasn't the right clinician for this individual and had them recheck with the physician for other options. Um, in the last three, four weeks, um, I've had multiple conversations with patients who are asking me about how COVID has affected uh, our practice um, and if uh, we are experiencing any um, fallout from the protests. Um, and it's a fair thing to, answer, uh, to, to ask because, uh, to be honest, it's the only um, non-white owned establishment in the community. <laughs> and uh, my family alone probably makes up the diversity uh, demographic uh, in our community, if not the only, a significant portion of it. Um, so I welcome these questions. I will welcome conversations about it because honestly, most people have lived uh, their perspective. They have their view on life, their frame of reference is the way they were brought up, what they were taught. Uh, and they may not be able to step into somebody else's shoes and look at life from their perspective. Um, so a white male growing up in Smallsville, America, is not going to know what it's like for a an Asian American in in the U.S. at a time of COVID, because they will also be feeling these social pressures um, simply because of ethnicity. Um, and same for African-American people. They will be feeling pressures that you or I will never truly grasp. Um, so empathy is something we've talked about in prior podcasts. Uh, and I think it's, it's uh, it is another great opportunity to practice empathy. Imagine being in this person's shoes. Imagine being in their life. Um, and if you don't know enough about uh, this population, it'd be a great idea to meet people make friends and just tell them, I just want to learn more um, and ask them questions, which is literally what's been done to me. Um, so thankfully the, the place uh, that I work in, uh, we have fantastic patients, great uh, staff, and they're completely open with having a conversation. And um, they just tell me, 
I know nothing about this, so do you mind if I ask you about it? Great way to start a conversation. Um, in the clinic, when somebody points out something that is uh, perhaps a little politically pointed, um, what do you do? Uh, you, you, you have the option to use empathy. Uh, you have the option to uh, move the patient onto somebody else if it's uncomfortable. Um, but it's a good chance to practice empathy, empathy and speak in a way that is non-threatening so that you can get this other person, person's perspective. And that's what I've, that's what I've done. Um, and it's been the most beneficial way of, uh, of one, keeping therapeutic alliance and, and uh, doing what you're there to do, your job. And two, keeping things ethical um, without stepping into even thornier uh, topics. Um, of course, if someone has a blatantly antithetical view to mine on kneeling, some, kneeling on someone's neck for eight and a half minutes, well, I'll have to make a hard choice at that point. Because um, one of the <clears throat> one of the stoic prin principles of uh, is to basically do the right thing no matter what. Um, would this hurt me potentially? But the fallout will also hurt everybody else, and it's my job to protect the people in the clinic, my staff, my other patients. Um, and if I have to make a hard stance because it's politically uh, f uh, inflammatory in the clinic. I'll make a hard stance and call it good. Um, I think it's just the right thing to do, not just for me, but for my local circle of people I work with. Yeah, that's, you bring up a really good point with, with empathy. And I think, you know, empathy works in, in both directions, you know, having empathy for someone who is going through something that, you know, whether it's, you know, pain, trauma, these kinds of things that you have not experienced, but, yourself but trying to uh, trying to at least understand where they're coming from and acknowledge um and validate you know their experience and uh, you know i i run into trouble i think i, I you know I, I said to you off before we started recording that i didn't want to make this into my own personal therapy session but it might be too late um, <laughs> um you know i when these these types of emotionally charged um situations as in sort of the you know, racial tensions in our country, um, you know, I, I get very, I, I'm very opinionated. I get very emotional about them. Um, this is when I, I start to, I, you know, will try to lean on because I will lose some of my stoic teachings in terms of, you know, recognizing that your thoughts are not necessarily, you are not your thoughts that, you know, that, that, that uh, what you feel, that emotion that you feel in, 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 the, in, a, in response to any kind of like an insult, whether it's physical or, or, or verbal or anything like that, is just that in and of itself. It's our, it's our perceptions that determine sort of how, what we feel about a thing and having that space in between to kind of make uh, a choice and how to respond in these kinds of situations, things like that go out the window for me um, in many in, oftentimes, um, I guess, you know, and having, and I will end up having a lack of empathy towards somebody who has an opposing view of mine, because in these situations, I am firmly rooted in what I think is correct and very dismissive of what I think 
when people have, a, especially a, a polar opposite opinion um, or even marginally opposite opinion, um, I tend to probably come down a lot harder and really much more, much more dismissive of their perspective on things when maybe having empathy for, not necessarily for them personally, but maybe it's really just a lack of exposure, a lack of understanding, a lack of education on their part. Not that they're necessarily a bad person per se, but really just lack of, like I just said, lack of exposure, lack of understanding, and have they been raised in a different geographical area or from by different parents or you know, different, they're exposed to different things at certain points in their lives would have had a different perspective. You know, I'm, I, I am white and I've benefited from a system set up uh, for, for whites to, to thrive in this country. However, I also am a first generation American because my father and his parents escaped Germany during the Holocaust. So, you know, being Jewish is a little bit different but at the same time, it's not a skin color type. You know, there's not a, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's, there's no advantage or disadvantage based on skin color. But I empathize strongly with, with people who have had some sort of, you know, serious type of oppression because aside from slavery, the Holocaust has, has been at least in, as far as our history that we know of has been the single most, you know, devastating uh, humanitarian act you know, I guess we get to look more into the Native Americans to find out the true numbers. But um, I'm trying to remember where I was going with this. But, you know, again, having been raised by parents who have who are exposed to that kind of situation historically, my mother was, was involved in the civil rights movement in the Freedom Rides in, in Tennessee during the 60s. So being raised in a certain environment, exposed to certain things, obviously has shaped my perspective on things. So... I guess, trying to get an understanding of where someone else came from. And based on some of the stuff that I've also been reading in terms of looking at systemic racism in this country, that it really is more a issue of policies and systems put in place rather than individuals having sort of very uh, prejudicial thoughts. And it's, it's sort of like the systems come first and then the, the validation of racism comes, you know, as comes after versus the individuals having these thoughts, establishing the systems is what it, it seems to be. So almost giving people benefit of the doubt might be a better way to approach it, uh, especially for someone like me, um, to, to approach it, I guess, in a more open and healthy way. Yeah, one of the four uh, stoic virtues is justice. and um, And justice has to do with what is the common uh, what is beneficial for the common good? Um, it's a um, your combination of your thoughts and your actions that contribute to common good. Um, and that, I think, is like a really, really good guiding principle. Um, because if it doesn't help the community locally and at large, um, it probably isn't something that aligns with the uh, the virtue of justice, at least from a stoic perspective. Um, and there's another quote that we've used in the past. Um, I think it was when we were talking about sympathia. Um, it's the idea that what's bad for the hive is bad for the bee. And just like you said, this 
systemic uh, racism that's been built in was definitely bad for the hive. And it's showing um, by individual bees being, uh, unfortunately, the bl- bearing the blunt end of uh, police brutality. Um, and so I, th- I think I think what you said is right. Uh, a lot of it is kind of built in, but you get these fires that come up every now and then on an individual level. Um, and yes, you're hundred percent right. Like empathy, humility, curiosity, all these things are completely worth exploring for each one of us. Um, this is a great time to do it, to be honest. Uh, everything is um, at a, an excited state. Um, people are more likely to, um, to sit down and have a conversation uh, if you frame it the right way. Um, and, and then humility is something all of us need to practice, um, even in the clinic, because uh, as clinicians, we don't know who's coming in the door. Um, and you have to humble yourself in order to help them. Um, and I think the same thing applies to the larger community outside the clinic. Um, in order to help somebody or help a group of people, you need to humble yourself and to a point where you, you drop your past conceptions and you're open to learning something you were never exposed to um, at all. Um, and I think that sense of humility combined with curiosity um, in a context of empathy is really, really powerful. Um, and all of those things will point towards this concept of justice and common good um, that the Stoics talked about a lot. And I guess, you know, the challenge is, you know, and the frustration I feel sometimes is, you know, these things that are happening now are still not that much different than what was taking place in the 1960s than what was taking place in the 1860s other than slavery mm-hmm. um, you know to a certain degree the, you know these behaviors and these attitudes by a, still a large number of people and the policies implemented uh, by our government and, and society that have shaped a lot of these beliefs has not changed significantly so is having these conversations is that going to be what moves the needle, you know, trying to meet someone where they're at? Or do sometimes people need to be dragged to the right position? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile to have these conversations um, because at least you get the opportunity to plant a seed of thought. Um, it may not germinate for 10 months or seven years, who knows? Um, but at least they will start thinking about it. Um, they may not openly admit to, to it. Wait that long, though. Can right. We afford to wait longer. That's what I'm saying. Is that, you know, can we afford to go another number of years without seeing real change, or does real change need to happen in a way that is not necessarily an easy transition? Oh yeah, um, I think it was uh, Nassim Taleb who said, uh, "History doesn't crawl; it leaps." I think we're in one of those leaps. Is it going to be painful? Yes, it's going to be painful. Uh, we had the good fortune of having two leaps, a pandemic and uh, 
the current Black Lives Matter protests. Um, so yeah, change is not going to be easy. It's it's going to take um, for some percentage of the population, it's going to take an internally ad- internal identity change, um, and it, it, it would benefit everybody to think of each other as humans. Um, that way, at least the change can start in the home or in the house or in the person. Um, so that hopefully, um, let's see, the 1960s was approximately two generations ago. Let's say one and a half. Hopefully in one, another generation from, a generation from today, um, the thinking will be different because people have raised the next generation with more equitable thinking, a more um, equitable perspective on life and other humans. Um, so I think it, I think some of this has to occur in the house uh, with families. Uh, they need to have tough conversations. Um, workplace is tricky, uh, but if somebody brings it up, then I believe it is your duty to do the right thing and to have an open conversation with them um, and allow them to have an open conversation with you. Um, because these things are not going to progress if it's one way. When MLK was assassinated, it took like six or seven days of straight rioting for the Civil Rights Act to be passed. That was definitely tumultuous. Um, So yes, these things were there in the background back then, but I don't think they were talked enough about. Um, And so it reached a boiling point. Um, and I think the same thing is happening in the latest like generation of people. This has been there, but these conversations have kind of skirted around major topics, but we haven't really dove into it. We haven't really seen why certain uh, populations are the way they are, why certain uh, neighborhoods are the way they are, um, why financial stratifications are the way they are. Uh, these are all things we will have to dive into uh, because, again, if it's hurting one segment of the population, it is only a matter of time before the rest of us feel it. Um, it may not be the same exact thing, but it'll be some iteration of it. Um, and so, again, what's good for the, uh, what's good for the bees, and I'm looking at the, uh, the quote in reverse because I think it still applies, What's good for individual bees um, can also communally help the community. Um, and we should be looking at these, um, these in- individual events, these individual conversations as part of a greater whole, um, because that's what it actually is. And I think that like, the, the quote was also kind of similar in that it's what was bad for the bee is bad for the hive. Like I said, yes. that was bad individual bee you know, it ends up being bad for the hive. And that's what we're really seeing is that a, you know, a, a group, you know, subgroup, a subsection of the population, whether it's blacks, people of color, um, LGBTQT, mm-hmm. you know, treating, you know, treating them as less than anything else, as less than equal, um, ultimately has, is having a negative effect on society as a whole. And it's just, that's the whole thing about, you know, sort of white privilege as, just because it doesn't affect you not realizing that there's a problem 
and, and that's part of the whole thing. Um, but I, I even want to go back to what you said about after um, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. You know, that was years of protests and sit-ins and, and, mm -hmm. um, and but then it took violence for things to actually finally get done to a certain degree with, with this, with the civil rights act. Um, so there was a lot of resistance mm -hmm. by the powers that be to these changes, which are, you know, when you look at them, it makes, why, why was this even a thing um, that they had to fight so hard for? Why, it, like you said, it's like, what is, you know, the, the stoic, the stoic principle of, you know, someone bottom is do the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But these things were clearly not being done and it had to take almost a violent uprising to a certain degree for action to get taken. And now we see the protests, we've seen some you know, statues pulled down, we've seen looting in certain cities. Um, more people have been killed. Police have been shot at. Um, you know, we're seeing we're seeing these things happen. And it, it sometimes that's why that was sort of my you know, thought was that sometimes it takes more than a conversation. It takes a little bit of revolution mm -hmm. to really start to make some profound changes. So it's, you know, doing it, you know, you know Martin Luther King is known for sort of the, the peaceful protest sort of philosophy contrasted with Malcolm X, which was a little bit more on the sort of a, you know, a little bit more aggressive kind of style. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they kind of came kind of they, they were a little bit at odds with each other and then seemed to kind of identify where each other were coming. They became a little bit more united later on towards the end. But, you know, trying to weigh where where the the correct path is. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I still feel like to a certain degree having a conversation is nice and all people have to be willing to have the conversation. Some people are very dug in on their, on their beliefs. And I think in some cases, some people need to be called out on that. In some cases, some people just need to be drag kicking and screaming to the right side of history. Um, and this is also where uh, voting really matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you can make a change on a larger scale uh, or at least increase the probability of making a change on a larger scale. Um, I think uh, if we go back to a smaller circle of family, individual communities, um, inclusion really helps. Um, and I think those little changes can snowball into a meaningful movement. And as we saw in the last few weeks, um, it doesn't always take a long time, even though these fires have been burning for a while. Um, at some point, there's going to be one fire that's linked up to like a stick of dynamite and then everything goes boom um, and you can't ignore it anymore. Um, but <clears throat> I think having, uh, I think that some of those things require a certain amount of courage because it's hard to have these conversations. It's hard to, um, it's hard to quit an organization if you feel like the leadership is, is unfortunately very biased. Um, but these are strong steps to take and meaningful steps to take. Um, and the one thing you are not forsaking is your own sense of right and wrong and your own personal principles when you take such a harsh um, stance against bias uh, by just leaving your job. Like that is, that is incredibly meaningful. Um, 
it's also galvanizing to a certain degree because it forces you to really think about what you stand for and your principles. And that's hard. Um, that takes, uh, that takes courage. Um, Stokes had like a kind of a, a little aggressive <laughs> view of courage, which maybe we need. Um, so uh, they looked at courage as like the, um, uh, the strength to face misfortune, uh, to face death, um, and even to risk yourself uh, for the sake of a greater good. Like there's that, there's that phrase again. So greater good, fellow man. Um, it's the courage to like have, like, like we just said a few minutes ago, like your own sense of principles. And even though others may be getting away with, uh, with something they shouldn't, you sticking to your own principles and taking a stand and moving away from that or speaking your mind and, and insisting on um, some sense of fairness, um, all that takes courage. And I think all those little steps add up. Um, I think there was, I think it was this week when a football player from Liberty University uh, dropped out. Yeah, um, yesterday or the day before, I think. Yeah, like that takes courage. Um, I have no idea what kind of life this <clears throat> this athlete had, um, but I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't all served to him on a silver platter uh, to go to Liberty University with a uh, full ride scholarship uh, to play football. Um, I'm sure he had to work for it, um, and then having achieved that, to take such a strong stance and say, "Hey, you know what? I don't think this organization is working the right way." I think there is built-in bias that is working against me and my community. And I'm going to take a stand and step away from it and make it public. Like that is courage. Uh, so he basically risked his current potential and maybe put future potential by stepping away uh, and sticking with his principles. Um, and I think that's something that all of us could use. And, and I think you're seeing, you saw that too uh, earlier this week, you know, and last week with Bubba Wallace, um, the only black driver in NASCAR who basically really galvanized um, NASCAR into removing the Confederate flag mm. um, and, and basically outlawing it at all races. Uh, and that was that, being, being the only black driver and, you know, in a, a predominantly white sport, in a predominantly Southern sport, um, you know, with, with, with very strong sort of Confederate uh, roots. So to come out about that and sort of, again, risking sponsorship, risking, you know, basically his, his uh, livelihood to a certain degree, um, and then seeing how his, his fellow drivers and NASCAR as a whole, from a um, business standpoint, from a corporate standpoint, responded, um, was very, you know, very positive. Mm -hmm. uh, and also going to be very challenging to the fan base, which historically is a very sort of characteristically sort of Southern conservative, uh, predominantly fan base. So right. it's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's really going against the, uh, the status quo. And so far it seems to be going in a, in a mostly positive way. Yeah, no. And, and this is true. I also have to agree with you that just having conversations sometimes isn't enough. Um, many times what you do is more powerful than what you say. And so works over words yeah and i think it's important like I, I was really you know felt very conflicted 
last week and the week before uh, when, when everything was really first starting to unfold in terms of what our role was as a physical therapist with patients, what our role was um, in terms of, you know, like you alluded to in the beginning, you know, these social determinants of health, I think, play a lot bigger role than we realize in terms of economics and environmental and access to certain resources, um, more than a lot of sort of the classic stuff we learn in PT school, biomechanics and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, what is our role in terms of health within our individual patients and within our communities? And how do I address that, you know, with, with the position that I have as a physical therapist and with the patients that I see on a, on a, on a daily and weekly basis and the impact I can have and wanting to have maybe a or feeling like I should have a conversation because I, I went back to the, there's different variations of the quote where like, you know, silence or neutrality uh, in the face of a situation only helps the oppressed, not mm-hmm. the oppressor, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I didn't feel like I should be quiet about certain topics when they came up. Um, but both my wife and my, my boss who owns, you know, owns the clinic, you know, it, put things in perspective in terms of, like you said, too, there's a time and a place people are coming to us for physical therapy, for back pain or headaches or neck pain or jaw pain or whatever, you know, it's not necessarily the, the best environment to have a, a, you know, political and, and, and social justice focused conversation. Um, and, I, and I'm still a little bit conflicted about it, but um you know, it's like we're there to serve them. You know, sometimes you can have a conversation about certain things and just it may be in a way it, it forces me at least to not be as um, confrontational about certain things and maybe forces me to listen more and just kind of get someone else's perspective and take stock in it. And most of the time realize that, you know, a lot of these people I like, and I, there's a lot of things about them I like. And just because we disagree doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. And may, um, like I said before, it just might be they're just not as well. Doesn't don't they, they haven't had the exposure, they haven't had the education, they haven't had the uh, been able to develop the understanding. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity there to kind of like talking to someone about pain. You can't just you can't make let them drink from a fire hose. You got to give them a little bit little little dose at a time and, and hope that some of those things start to sink in and add up over time mm-hmm. dosage that's another stoic principle they call it temperance <laughs> that's right um, and again that applies here too uh yeah and and we live in different circles right so work is one circle home is a circle um online another circle um hanging out with your uh kids Fam, friends, families, another circle. Um, I, don't, I don't try to, I try to minimize all socialization. Even before the pandemic, I was practicing, I've been practicing social distancing for years. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so my only opportunity to talk to actual people is like with patients. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I guess there's a lot to learn there. <laughs> That's by design. <laughs> but yeah, I think people at large have, have multiple circles they're involved in. And the clinic is not the only place where you can, uh, where you can trigger change. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is longer than the usual 
It is recording, but I think think it's worthwhile. I agreed. I think this is very worthwhile. I hope people find it uh, worthwhile as well. Jason, uh, where can people find you more on online? Um, Yeah. Uh, So I'm on Twitter and on uh, occasionally on Instagram, but mostly Twitter. And my handle is the same on both. It's uh, at 37 cycles. That's at 37 C Y C L E S. And you can find me, same thing, both on Instagram and Twitter. Same handle, at Spear, S-P-E-A-R, underscore Physio. Um, And I also want to invite any listeners, if they want to have a candid conversation about this, um, I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, Just DM me on uh, Twitter, and uh, we can dive in. Absolutely. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jason. Good talking, Andrew. Likewise. Thank you so much for listening to the PhysioStoic Project. You can find us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That way more people can find our podcast and maybe even help attract high-profile interviews.